grace is Lord. Amen. Let's sing that song or try to sing the song Shalom. Shalom, Shalom, peace and good morning, He is on the throne, Shalom, Shalom, now we are almost home, Shalom. Uh 
because he lives because I know oh now and because I know he holds my future this morning. We'll change the pace up just a little bit here, keep it in the same key, and let's sing that song we're together again. We're together again Now just praising the Lord We're together again In one accord And something good going to happen something good is in store we're together again just praising the lord now we're together again oh just praising the lord we're together again in one accord Something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. We're together again. Just praising the Lord. Now we're together again. Just praising the Lord. We're together again. Now in one accord. Something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. We're together again. Just praising the Lord one more time. We're together again. Now just praising the Lord. We're together again. In one Something good is going to happen. Oh, it's in store. We're together again. Something good now, and something good is going to happen. Something good is in store. We're together again. Just praising the song feeling so much better. Now I'm feeling so much better now talking about this good old way. Feeling so much better just talking about the Lord. So let's go on, let's go on just talking about this good old way. Let's go on and Let's go on talking about the Lord. The devil, he don't like it. 
talking about this good old way. The devil, he don't like it. Talking about the Lord. So let's go on. Let's go on just talking about this good old way. Let's go on. Let's go on talking about the Lord. Now I'm feeling so much better talking about this good old way. Feeling so much better just talking about the Lord. So let's go on. Let's go on talking about this good old way. Let's go on. Let's go on just talking about the Lord. Now the devil, he don't like it when we talk about this good old way. The devil, he don't like it talking about the Lord. So let's go on. Let's go on talking about this good old way. Let's go on. Let's go on just talking about the Lord. So I'm feeling so much better talking about this good old way. Oh, now talking about the Lord. So let's go on. Let's go on just talking about this good old way. Let's go on. Let's go on just talking about the Lord. One more time. Feeling so much better just talking about this good old way. Feeling so much better talking about the Lord. So let's go on. Let's go on talking about this good old way. Let's go on. Let's go on talking about the Lord. Now this old world will never hold me. And any moment I'll be gone. For I made my consecration. And I've got my wedding garments on for I've made Now for I've made my consecration Oh, and I've got my wedding garments on We'll change it up a little bit Let's sing that song, I'm a Child of the King and 
Also, please remember Sister Amber McCall. She is away visiting Christy in the hospital. We also uh, just want to remember Brother Caleb in Connecticut. He's not with us today. And also we want to remember Brother John Cockman and family. They are not with us. Um, if you would, please just remember the Florians uh, who are dealing with a summer cold. And also Rachel Coffey is dealing with that as well. Uh, we want to remember the Smiths who are doing better, but we just want to continue and lift them up in prayer. Also, just remember the Irish family. They are away on vacation in Illinois for a while. And we also want to remember Brother Andy's mother still. And we also uh, I have here Sister Rachel Pritchard's grandmother uh, in Virginia passed away. So if we could just remember her. 
And also, I have here that Brother Mike and Sister Angie are in Michigan still. And also, Sister Melly Cross and the kids are in Michigan. So, uh, we have a lot of requests here, and I know there's a lot of unspoken requests. If you would just lift your hands for that. If you would just stand with me once more. If I could have Brother Ben come and pray for these uh, requests. bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we just counted a real honor and a privilege, Father, to be able to come this morning, Father, and just to be able to worship you, Father, with brothers and sisters. And Father, we truly are a needy people this morning, Lord, and as our Brother Mitchell read these prayer requests, Father, lots of folks that are traveling are dealing with situations, Lord, that are uh, health-wise, Father, be spiritual wise, they may even be financial, Father. We, Lord, we ask that this morning you would go to each of those needs, Father, and that you would have your way with them. And Lord, for those that raise their hands, the unspoken prayer request, Father, you know each of the needs this morning, Father, for those as well. And we're thankful, Lord, that there's a rock we can run to and say, Father, we love you, we appreciate you, and we're thankful for touching each situation. Lord, we ask that you'll be with the remainder of the service. Be with the speaker, Father. Help us to do our part, Lord, and to pull. And Lord, we ask it in your name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. You may have your seats. Let's sing that song you were playing there. So bring all your needs to the altar. We'll just keep singing that. So bring all your needs to
sing that song as Brother Barry comes, I sing praises to your name. Oh, I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, oh, your name is great and Sing praises to your 
Thank you, Jesus. While you have your Bible and you're standing on your feet, let's take a look in the scripture together, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'd like to welcome all of you here this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's an honor to have you with us. And we appreciate all of those that are listening online as well. We are always excited when God's people get together because he promised that he would meet with us whenever we gather in his name. And so we do that today with expectation in our hearts. So let's just read this morning and uh, and we'll make a couple of preliminary announcements and hold on to this uh, atmosphere and then we'll just jump right into the word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and Paul writes these words, Now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Say always with me. Always. We thank God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. That's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Always. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Say it with me. Every place. Always and in every place. We have victory through Christ. May God add his blessing you may be seated this morning. Well, let me do a couple of quick announcements here and a couple of things that uh, uh, I didn't get to Mitchell this morning. Uh, Brother Keith is not here. He's uh, working today, and we always miss Brother Keith when he's not here. Also, we want to, we want to remember Sister April Grant, uh, who's in Atlanta, and uh, Sister Becky's uh, cousin, Lark, Fortner, who had uh, surgery this week for uh, uh, possible cancer, and uh, we uh, certainly are holding them up in prayer and him up in prayer, and just trust that the Lord will continue to minister to him. He really needs a touch, really needs a miracle, but we believe that God is able on his behalf. Also as well, uh, Steve Coffey uh, did a funeral yesterday for Brother Gerald Crowell, who went on to be with the Lord, and uh, he, uh, we want to remember his family and trust that the Lord will undertake for them. There's great loss for the uh, church up there in Virginia. Had a couple of birthdays this week, and uh, we want to acknowledge those. June 28th is Ava Brown's birthday, right? Ava, how old is Ava going to be this year? Five years old. Also, June 29th is Brother Caleb's birthday, and Brother Caleb's up in Connecticut uh, this week. July 1st is Arne Cross's birthday. They're up in Michigan. July 3rd is Peter Coffey's birthday, and he's somewhere here, and also Anna Pritchard's birthday, right? July 3rd. And uh, we wish them all the very best. Uh, a couple of uh, just wanted to say that uh, we want to remind you about the men's meeting. We have our roster of ministers who are going to be uh, speaking this year, we're working on the website. We're going to be opening up that uh, probably, Lord willing, by next weekend, so we'll have that in place. Uh, we're going to have Brother Paul LaFontaine, Brother Jason Watkins, Brother Sam Browning, and Brother Jack Duff from Florida are going to be the four ministers who are going to be there. It's going to be quite, a, uh, quite an agenda during that time, and we're going to have it over in Carson Springs, uh, and we are excited about that meeting coming up. Also, as well, I mentioned on Wednesday night, we have a meeting on uh, Labor Day, which is going to be with Brother Paula Fontaine and Brother John Andy. It's going to be here. So we're going to do Saturday and Sunday on Labor Day weekend. So you might want to mark that uh, weekend as well. Now, today we're going to have a dinner. 
after our service here today. It doesn't matter if you're a guest or a visitor. We always have lots of food, so uh, you're certainly welcome. After Right after service, we're going to have dinner, and we're going to honor our graduates who have graduated over the last uh, couple of years. They've got tables set up over there, and uh, you'll be able to see a little bit of their uh, accomplishments and diplomas and different things, and uh, we're excited, always excited about a church dinner, right? I mean, there's two ways to heaven. One is the rapture, the other one is church dinners, right? Either one of them is going to get you out of this world. And uh, we are uh, always excited about that, so that will be right after the service today. And uh, we have acknowledged uh, over the last two years our graduates in, in part, and it, it's been, a, in a sense, it's been kind of a frustrating thing because we have not had normal graduations and graduations are important, I think, because they bring closure to and mark the end of a great uh, accomplishment, a journey that a student's been on. Uh, Sister Becky uh, earned her second master's degree and, uh, you know, never had a formal graduation for that, uh, that uh, accomplishment, which is a great accomplishment, master's in history from Liberty University. And also, I didn't realize this until last week, and that is that Brother, John, uh, Brother Jonathan Mayle completed his residency at Winston-Salem and was offered a job at Winston-Salem and is going to remain on there in the cardiology department. And uh, they had a ceremony in May, never knew about it. And uh, because of the virus conditions that they have to deal with in the hospital, not even Sister Leah was able to go and attend the ceremony. She had to watch it online. And so it was pretty subdued for them. And I think that's a a uh, huge accomplishment to go through all those years of medical school and residency and uh, come to the end of that process and this, you know, <clears throat> without family and friends to acknowledge that. <clears throat> so we want to do that when Brother Jonathan comes back there in Florida, taking a well-earned vacation, and they're uh, going to be back, Lord willing, tomorrow. They might be traveling today and coming back tomorrow uh, or, or be, be back uh, in time because he's going to be starting a new position there. And so we certainly acknowledge the accomplishment uh, that these folks have made. But uh, we want to honor our uh, graduates here uh, over, this, uh, over this dinner that we're having. And uh, Lucas has already uh, graduated. We already gave him a, a Bible and acknowledged him and proud of his accomplishments as well. Got his diploma all framed and ready to go. You'll see it today out in the fellowship hall uh, this afternoon. But uh, there's one graduate that we did not honor yet and uh, publicly, and that is Brother Joe Cockman. And Brother Joe uh, has accomplished great things over, this, uh, over his high school years. Yes, that's you. Come on up here. Not sure if you were just checking. We are honored to honor Joe uh, with this Bible. This is a special King James Study Bible, and uh, this is uh, a great uh, step for Joe, and he's got an exciting couple of years ahead of him. And uh, the list of accomplishments are kind of long and profound. But uh, we are proud of you, Brother Joe, and all you've done, and just trust that the Lord will uh, take complete control now and guide you in the path that he has for you because this is new. This is different. This is the big boy stuff. This is the real world and uh, real debt, right? Although Joe has done really great in getting lots of scholarships and uh, lots of uh, support there, so... We're just excited for his future and uh, proud that he's a part of us. And we trust that you will take this, read it, and treasure it. And may God guide your footsteps. God bless you, Joe.
Cockman's are going to be away for a lot of the summer here uh, due to travels and so forth. So we carved out this Sunday to be able to do that uh, for, uh, uh, for them and for them to be here today. So we're thankful for that. Also, Brother Mitchell graduated this year, and, uh, and for everybody who's uh, made the accomplishments, we're grateful for that. Sister Caroline's not here this morning, but maybe come a little bit later, right? And uh, so we're thankful for all of our graduates and for all that's been accomplished. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you this morning now to take your Bible, because we're not going to use a PowerPoint. We're going to do this. Uh, the manual way, the old-fashioned way, and we're going to, uh, uh, going to have you look at a chapter in the Bible that's going to be, I think, an illustration of a simple point. And I wanted to start a little uh, series, if you like, or a little new thought on something that is really not new to any one of us, uh, but it is something that I think is worth underscoring and reinforcing, and that is the fact that... Uh, it is important for us to uh, acknowledge the, the things that God has done for us. Like uh, Paul writes in the scripture here that he says, uh, God causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every, in every place. And uh, God's, uh, God's certainly able to, uh, to, to do great things on our behalf. God is certainly all-powerful. We believe that, right? It, it is an understatement for us to say that God can do whatever he wants to do. And we believe that, we acknowledge that, we trust in that. And I, I, I know that we don't need to be convinced to, uh, or spend a lot of time on the fact that uh, whatever you have need of in Christ, number one, God already knows it, but he's also able to supply it in ways that we may not even understand or anticipate. But God already knows the need, and he knows the answer to that need, and he knows how to, how to supply, knows how to give things to us, in, in often, often in supernatural ways. And uh, we, we don't have any problem believing that. We, we can trust that. But there's, there's a kind of a, a side to this that I, I want to uh, maybe bring up this morning that is good for us to learn how to practice. And that is this, that there are times when uh, we we, we we suffer the loss of things that are rightfully ours. Things that are given to us, and there are certain promises that are made to us in Scripture uh, that clearly establish that you are, you, you've been blessed as a Christian in your path, and certain things that God has bestowed upon you or has imparted to you as a Christian along the journey that are yours. They're not anybody else's, they're yours. And God's given you certain blessings. And even though that you're a Christian and even though the promises are very clear, they're not obscure, they're not vague at all, the promises are very clear. Satan's not shy about reaching in and trying to steal whatever he can from you if he finds an opening. If he finds an opening at all, he's not shy at all about reaching in and stealing what you have. Now, forgive me for being simple this morning, but I trust that the, the lesson will be clear to you. And I'd like to title this this morning, An Enemy Has Stolen My Stuff. An enemy has stolen my stuff. We are, in our culture, we are good at uh, preventing intrusion, right? Have you, ever, have you ever been to Best Buy lately, which is a showroom for Amazon, and you go into Best Buy and you look around at things. Now, in the very front of the store, at least in ours, in the very front of the store, there's huge displays of 
things like a ring and uh, the alarms and the cameras and all the different things, uh, uh, deadbolts that you can operate with your smartphone and uh, multiple cameras that you can have. I mean, it's really cheap now, and you can have it. My phone constantly goes off all the time because I have a ring, and uh, a ring is a uh, device that's one of those all-seeing doorbells. And uh, it, it's, 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 in one way, it's kind of nice because you can see who comes to your door. And that is nice. And it says that uh, there's uh, motion detected at your front door. So it, it'll, it'll show up when somebody comes to knock on your door. They deliver a package. It's nice to have that. But it also uh, activates itself if deer walk by the front door. Or in the case of another family here in church who has a ring, when their cat is hungry, it, it has learned that if I move across the, the scope of the ring, the doorbell, it'll go off, and that's a sign that the cat is hungry. I mean, it's kind of like the reverse of Pavlov's dogs, but it's, it, it, it goes on all the time so that the cat is hungry, and he wants to let the family know that it's true. But my grandkids have also discovered something about this ring, which I think is interesting, and that is that they know they can always get Poppy's attention when they want to have it by jumping out in front of the ring. So if they're in the house doing something and they want to show me something and I'm not there, they'll go outside and stand in front of the doorbell and they'll wait for me to answer because I can speak from my phone into the doorbell and communicate with them. They only look at a button, right? That's all they see, but I can see them. And they'll say, Poppy, Poppy, look what I got. Look what I got. Look what Danny bought me. Or look what, look what I made. Or whatever else. And they'll do that even if the weather is not nice. Or at nighttime, they'll jump out in front of the ring and they'll talk to the doorbell and then they'll, they'll go back into the house because they know that it's a good way to get my attention. Now, I said that to say this, that we in our culture, we've got all kinds of creative ways to protect ourselves from intrusion. Right? It's a big deal now. Security is a big deal. Whether you're dealing with websites or whether you're dealing with your house or whether you're dealing with your business, uh, there are websites now that are devoted to protecting churches and, uh, you know, trying to hack in here and, and uh, gain information, gain insight into things that are happening here. We take a lot of time. We, take, we put a lot of energy into thwarting somebody who may want to intrude in our lives or into our personal affairs, into our uh, information. And we, we, we will do a lot of things to, uh, to protect our families behind our locked doors. And that's kind of a very natural thing for us to, to think about in our day. But I will tell you this too, that Satan is also trying to intrude in ways that sometimes are very subtle. And if he can, he'll rip you off, rip you off good, and take what is given to you by God, given to you by the Holy Spirit, and to hold on to it and even enjoy it uh, and, and, you know, remind you that you don't have it, uh, even though it's not his. This is the kind of enemy that we have, that he is, he is willing to take whatever you have and use it, even use it against you. And Use it and remind you that you don't have the thing that is promised to you. I believe that many times Satan is good at stealing our joy. How many would agree? He steals our joy in lots of ways. He'll steal it because of uh, sickness, which is also a, a promise to you that uh, where uh, the Bible says that I would that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospereth. 
And there's lots of things that are promised to us in Scripture and promised to us because of Scripture that uh, that Satan would reach out and try to destroy. And I hope I'm speaking to somebody here today because uh, I believe that there are people who have lost their peace. Not because they surrendered it, but because somebody came in and stole it. There's lots of people who have been dealing with uh, relationships in their households that are not smooth anymore. They might not be as as comfortable as they used to be. And it's because Satan's, you know, broken in and uh, stolen some of our peace. I believe that sometimes that Satan will come and steal your prosperity. He'll steal your prosperity by allowing, uh, you know, the uh, things to go wrong, even in your household and even in your in your place of dwelling. I believe that uh, Satan will do anything that he possibly can to steal your identity. I mean, there's a move on now for for uh, people today to change their identity. I, I was I was born a male, but I'm not a male anymore. And you know what that is? That's a lie of the devil. That's all that is. And I I, I was uh, I don't have a PowerPoint today. Obviously, you can probably pick that up by now. But the culture, in a sense, it's setting itself up to accommodate this ripoff where people are not even sure who they are anymore. Their, own, their, their actual identity has been being taken away from them. And, and it's just incredible how, how that's taken place. And I, 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 was, I was going to put this up here, and I decided against it because I don't want to give uh, this side of the conversation any kind of glory or any kind of acknowledgement at all, except to say this, that there was a survey that uh, they did among ministers and, and Protestant churches in the country, and they were talking about how close uh, the, the surveys are where people think that switching gender, gender identity and switching gender identity through surgeries is acceptable in our country. It's amazing how close the numbers are. We're talking like 52 to 48. Uh, 52% feel that it's wrong and 48% feel that it's okay uh, to do this. And even people within Christian, so-called Christian churches are feeling like, well, you know, if that's what a person wants to do. And a lot of it has to do with the younger people who are tilting this scale towards acceptance. Because after all, tolerance and acceptance is something that's pushed down everybody's throat these days, right? And, and, it's, and it's done wholesale. But, you know, there, that's not just happening by chance. I believe that Satan is, is carefully crafting his steps and calculating this whole thing. And I was, I was going to show you this, and I'll refrain from it. There's a limited production of Fruit Loops today in the supermarkets. Don't go looking for it. Okay, don't go looking for it. And you, uh, you kids, you need to stay away from the, from the cereal aisle for the next little while. Because Kellogg's has changed the whole uh, image of Fruit Loops and put the like on the toucan, who you know the bird that's on the front of Fruit Loops. Everybody knows that. Well, his beak now is a rainbow color, and they are celebrating pride issues on the front of Fruit Loops, and they uh, they're making this really appealing to kids that now it's wonderful that you can be whoever you want to be. And they say what's really nice is on the top of the box on the lay, on the on the box top where we used to get decoder rings and invisible binoculars and all kinds of things, right? All kinds of things that used to be in the box. And now they have a place there where you can put in your own pronouns. 
So kids can write in their own pronouns about what they want to be. I'm an, I'm a her, or I'm a, I'm a, you know, a him, or whatever else. And you can identify whoever you want to be and then take the box top off and send it into Kellogg's. And besides that, Kellogg's is making a percentage donation to LGBTQRS issues for every box of cereal that's sold. I had a, I had a thing that one of my boys was doing, you know, it was a shaving thing where they send you shaving supplies in the mail and you get it every month. Pardon the pun. And I, I, I got this shaving thing. I thought, oh, hey, this is not bad. I don't have to go anywhere to get this. There's a constant supply of shaving supplies in the mail. That's the pun. And so I, I, I was enjoying that for a while. I mean, it was okay. I was enjoying that for a while. And then Finally, I got a notice from them saying, you know, you can order all these other things because it's June, it's Pride Month, and everything you purchase from this shaving club. I mean, it's just a shaving club. Every percent, every purchase has a percentage send off to LGBTQRST, you know, needs and uh, different things like that. I boxed it all up and, pff, hey, sent it all back. Cut me off. I'm out. And now I can't eat Kellogg's cereal. Uh, I mean, pretty much I'm down to water and British tea. I mean, that's just about, I mean, you can't go to Starbucks anymore. You can't, I, I, and it's funny, but you understand what I'm saying is that the reason the polls are suggesting this is because somebody is starting back here at young ages and us older folks are going to be pretty soon outnumbered because the majority of people feel strongly about this way of life, or at least their right to have their way of life. And what you're looking at is the climax of Laodicea, which is people's rights, right? And everybody can do what they want. They can have their own way. And nobody can say anything. And the society is moving to accommodate that by passing laws that allow it and defend it. And pretty soon, all of that generation is going to be electing officials that are going to be in government and making laws to make you feel pretty uncomfortable because we preach what we preach. And the things that we preach are all found right here. But you know what? There's an entire generation that's on the move that don't care what that says at all. And they interpret that as hate speech, and so therefore you're going to be labeled. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that whether it's a, whether it's a sudden thing where you have a heart attack and your health is now compromised, Satan's moved in and stolen your good health, or whether it's a subtle move like that, Satan's not afraid to come in and steal your stuff. And he's stolen even a lot of identity from, uh, from people. You think about how you would, you would even explain that to your forefathers if they rose from the grave and you had to explain them about how the kids now can fill out the box top on a cereal box and, 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 uh, you know, identify themselves a certain way and send it in. And Kellogg's is the, uh, the group that's behind us and supporting us. Imagine trying to explain that to my, my grandmother or my grandfather, uh, and, and try to say, well, this is where society has gone. And this is what you lived and struggled for. And this is what you, uh, what you worked to establish in our nation here. And here's where it's all gone. I say this, that Satan has moved in and stolen things that are not really his at all. Now, I'm saying to you this morning that I'd like to study a little bit about uh, these, uh, the, the, this phenomena. But more importantly, I want to tell you how to get it back. Would that be all right? I want to tell you how to get back the things that Satan has stolen from you. And if you think just for a minute here, and you don't need to answer, but if you think for a minute how, uh, maybe there's something in your life that you'd like to have back. You'd like to have maybe a zeal back for God that you used to have. 
I'm not asking you to answer this, but maybe, maybe some of you would like to have a joy back in your heart or a peace back in your heart or, a, a, you know, a, maybe a stronger prayer life in your, in your, in your daily walk or maybe more confidence. You used to have confidence and somehow or another that's kind of taken away from you. Or maybe that uh, there's been a trap that you've fallen into and it might be anything from pornography online or a bad investment or something else and you've fallen into that and you don't feel as clean as what you used to feel. And I'm saying this, that's not, that's not your intent. But that's something that Satan is trying to steal away from you. And I'm here this morning to tell you how to get it back. Would that be all right? Would that be all right? All right. So I want you to, I want you to stay with me here today because if I read my Bible correctly, it says now that uh, God is able to do abundantly and exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So this is not something that's way off somewhere, but this power already is at work in us. And I believe that God is able to do exceeding beyond that. He's able to go beyond the, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the ability to accomplish something. He's able to go beyond what you think or beyond what you would even dare to ask. I read also in the Bible where, uh, in Galatians 5 where Paul said, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I, I love that, that word liberty and, and liberty is promised to the sons of God. How many would agree? Liberty means the freedom to do or to omit things that have no relation to salvation. Think about it now. Liberty means the freedom to do with everything that has to do with salvation. Salvation means that uh, you can have communion, that you can have fellowship with God, and you can ask God for things, and you can apply the token. You can have a token to apply. And you can have a peace and a joy. And you can have uh, blessings that only are given to people that pay their tithes, for instance. Hello? I mean, he says if we pay our tithes and bring all of our tithes to the storehouse, he'll pour out a blessing. Let me tell you, everybody doesn't pay their tithes. They should, but everybody doesn't pay them. But for the people that pay them, there's a blessing in store. How many would agree? And so that's a thing pertaining to salvation. So liberty means that you have the right, the freedom to be able to do anything that pertains to salvation. But you also have the right, conversely, to omit anything that doesn't have to do with salvation. So I don't have to wear a tattoo and I don't have to wear earrings in my ears to be accepted. And I don't have to, uh, you know, enjoy the music that everybody else enjoys. And I don't have to wear the clothes that everybody else enjoys. And I don't have to have the premarital, uh, you know, loose kind of sex that everybody has out there in the world. I don't have to have any of that in order to be accepted. I don't need to do anything in order to be accepted by God. God has already made that possible. He's made me accepted in the beloved. And so therefore, uh, there are things that are related to salvation that I'm free to do. And there are things that are not related to salvation. And you know what? I don't feel any pressure to do them. And that is true liberty in Christ. And Satan very often will attack that. We also find that in Ephesians 2 that Paul wrote, and he has raised us, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to say this today, that the purpose of this sermon is to let you know that you have a right to reclaim what is yours. If it's yours and it's identified in Scripture and identified uh, as a promise of God, it is yours and you have a right to reclaim it. I believe that the enemy will try to sneak in and he'll try to do everything he possibly can to make your life as miserable as possible and make you feel you have nowhere to turn and no resources. You're stuck where you are. And I believe that that is a lie of the devil himself. Now take your Bible, if you will. 
Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I'd like to read this little passage with you here. It's one chapter in the scripture that I, I think is a really good one, and one that we've referred to many times. It's a simple lesson, but I want you to look at it this morning, maybe wearing a different set of glasses. Now remember, an enemy has stolen my stuff. That's what we're talking about. We find David here who has been promised that he's going to be the next king, but he's not the next king yet. So he's wandering around with these band of merry men, and they're moving through the wilderness, and for a season they were with the Philistines. And the Philistines tolerated David because they didn't really not want to tolerate David because in a sense they were kind of scared of David. David's reputation preceded him, and they didn't want to ruffle his feathers, so they said, yeah, you can come along in the camp, and you can be with us. And So the Philistines tolerated David. So we're at the end of chapter 29. Everybody with me? Say amen. First Samuel chapter 29. And Achish... Uh, called David and said, hey, if you don't mind, uh, let's just have a little meeting today. And uh, I, I need to tell you something. And it start, the conversation starts in verse 6. And in verse 9, Akish answered and said to David, he said, I, I know that thou art good in thy sight. As an angel of God. I, I imagine now, here's a, here's a man who's a Philistine, and he's saying to David, I, I know that you're a good man. He said, almost like an angel of God. And, and that, that's the way you are. You've never done us any harm. You've never done us any hurt here since you moved in with us. And David moved there because he was being pursued by Saul, right? That's the reason he's there. He's there because he's under attack constantly. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he's under attack. Would you say that David was in the will of God? Yes, he was in the perfect will of God. He hadn't done anything wrong here. But he's being pursued by Saul, and Saul's trying to kill him, and so he moves in with the Philistines just for a place to park, if you like, only temporarily. Remember now, he's got a promise by a prophet that he's going to be a, a, a king of Israel. And so he's just waiting for that to happen. But, but Achish says to him, listen, I, I know that you are good in, in my sight as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. They don't trust you. And so, David, sorry, I know you're a good guy, but you've got to go. And you've got to leave the camp. You just, you, you're, you're no longer, we're no longer comfortable with you being here, so you've got to go. And wherefore now, <clears throat> rise up early in the morning and I, with thy master's servants that have come with thee. And as soon as you get up in the morning, depart in and, and the morning and have light, then depart. Go away. So David and his men rise up early to depart in the morning and return unto the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. This is over on the western side of Israel, uh, borders uh, the Mediterranean. This is where Gaza is today in that region. This is where uh, Goliath came from in that part of the world. And David is, is moving around in that's, that area. And uh, the Philistines said, listen, buddy, we, we, we're just, the, the princes are not comfortable with you because if somebody attacks Philistia, we're afraid you're going to turn around and kill all these Philistines because, after all, you have a reputation of killing Philistines. Big ones. And so, if you don't mind, we're going to just ask you to leave. We'd be all more comfortable with doing that. So David gathers his men the next morning on first light, and they leave, and they go back to where uh, some of their group are. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 30, And it came to pass that David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. All right, so we go from a situation that's bad because now David, who is 
for years being hunted by Saul for doing nothing wrong. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. He's, he's slain his ten thousands and, you know, he's done good for Israel. And he's listened to God, obeyed God. He accepted what God told him about being the next king and all the rest of it. But Saul hates him without a cause. And so David is a fugitive. He's considered a fugitive. There's a lot of people without looking below the surface. They will say, well, you know what? If there's smoke, there's probably fire somewhere. So maybe David's got something secret going on in his life. And there's lots of people in Israel who didn't really believe that David was entirely innocent. He was, but they didn't believe he was entirely innocent. And so David is, is now kind of got to cross the border, come back into Israel again, wondering what's the next move. And he comes to Ziklag where all the troop were. And my goodness, all the women are gone. All the kids are gone. All their goods are gone. They've got nothing left, just a shell of a camp. It's been burned. And they see the smoke in the distance, and they hurry up their camels, and they get into the camp. There's no, excuse me, there's nothing there. He's already been rejected by the Philistines, who he thought maybe were kind of friends at least they liked on on social media some of the things that david did but they were not really friends maybe i shouldn't shouldn't have said that but nonetheless here's david going back now into ziklag and there's nothing left there he's got everything everything's taken from him an enemy has come in and taken their stuff and i will tell you this that the devil knows exactly when to move. And when the men are gone, he comes in the back door. He took all the women and children and all the stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that David and his men were out of line or out of the will of God or doing something bad at all. But I will tell you this, that it's, a, it's an important thing, and we've talked about this an awful lot in this church, and that is this, is that men, if we have to do our duty, make sure that your house is protected or you pray a hedge around about your house so that when you're not there, there is protection for the rest of the family. Because the devil would like to sift your daughters like wheat. The devil would like to take your sons and corrupt them with all kinds of things that are available today and more available than everybody else. And a majority of kids in, uh, in schools and uh, different you know, sports and all the other things there, they're quick to point out that you're different because of what you believe than we are. And everybody else in this locker room sees it one way, and you see it another way. And they can make your kids feel pretty bad and apply the pressure. And I'm saying this, that fathers, we have to constantly be on the lookout to make sure that nobody comes in and steals the mind or the heart of your young daughter or son. Is that all right? And so Satan knows exactly how to move. So what's really, I mean, you gotta, you gotta think about David's dilemma here. He's been, he's been ostracized by the Philistines and he's out. He has no place to go now because, you know, his, his own countrymen don't want him. And Saul doesn't want him. He's accusing him of, uh, you know, insurrection and revolt. And now David's lost his wives and everybody else has lost their wives. They lost all their stuff, everything that they had with them. And they only had small possessions, but they're gone. And the Amalekites have got them. And David David is looking at this and he's, the Bible says, watch in verse 4, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's quite a place to come to when they have no more tears left, when their tear ducts have actually run dry. And, and the Bible says in 5 that David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelite, and Abigail the wife of Nabal. And, and David was greatly distressed. 
So that's kind of one of those biblical understatements. I got it underlined in my Bible because these understatements are, you know, they're kind of obvious here that David was distressed. I'd say he was distressed because his wives are gone, his children are gone, all his stuff is gone, and David's the leader. He's the one who's supposed to know, have answers for everything that's going on. And so the Bible says in verse 5, read the whole sentence, there are six, sorry. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. So they're actually talking about, listen, they're talking about stoning David because the Amalekites came in and did what they did. <clears throat> and now here's David in this situation where he didn't cause it and he didn't have anything uh, in his own life that would have made this happen, but the Amalekites have taken everything and, uh, you know, everybody in the camp is upset and they're wailing and they're, they're mourning the loss of all their family. And, and, and now they figure the only thing that we got to do, because anger likes to find an outlet, Anger likes to find an outlet. And they, they looked around and they said, well, who can we blame? Isn't it true that we as human beings like to find somebody to blame? Now, let me give you a little piece of advice that I've learned over my years, and that is this. Make sure if you're going to blame anyone, you blame the right one. And David was not the right one. This was their enemy, their mutual enemy that came in and stole their stuff. And I would say to you today that uh, when we see changes that take place that are not anybody's fault, we like to find somebody, well, it's the pastor, he should have known, or it's, it's mom or dad, they should have known, or make sure you blame the right person. And don't take your anger out on the wrong person. Because there really often is so much, only, only so much that your pastor can do. Right? We want our pastor to fix all of our problems. We want our pastor to bring all the solutions, you know, and, and so forth. And, and so they're looking at David. Now, David has done great things. David has accomplished a lot of stuff. But, you know, there's absolutely uh, no reason really to take their anger out on David. But David is the object of leadership here, so they pick up stones to stone him. You gotta imagine how that David must in his desperation have felt and, uh, you know, how, how frustrating this all must have been for David. So, uh, that is the situation where, uh, an enemy has come in and stole their stuff. And I want you to learn now a little bit about what David did because this lesson is really good. It's really simple, but it's really good about what David, uh, actually did now to counter this offensive by the enemy. And you should not put yourself aloof from this idea this morning because uh, the devil, we, we understand through the message of the hour, that the devil studies you and he wants to find weak areas in your life. And the weak areas in your life can be really uh, not, not dangerous looking. Like a really pretty girl may not be dangerous looking, but it could be a real danger to you. A real handsome boy could be uh, really handsome, but he may be a trap to you if you get too involved with that boy and he may not be a believer. Right? And so on and so on. And, and there are all kinds of traps there that don't always seem like traps. But I, I want you to notice that when David got into this place now, uh, what is important is what he did right here. And I want you to notice again in verse 6 here. And these, these verses are really great. He says that uh, they're all weeping and they wanted to stone David. But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So now, I, 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 I want to just for a moment here. David's got nobody to turn to. 
He's got no, uh, no resource left. He doesn't have a king that he can go to. He doesn't have a 911 that he can dial. Uh, he doesn't have anybody around that uh, he can cast his cares upon. And so he refers back or he falls back on the thing that he's proven over his years in his own heart. And that is this. He's not, he's not relying on his own leadership. He's not relying on his own smarts. He's not relying on anybody else. But he's relying on the thing that he's proven over the years. And we find that in, in the Psalms, when David wrote it, in Psalm 42, it says, Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? He said, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So David knew that whenever uh, he was downcast, and why is I soul downcast? He said, I will yet praise him for his help. I will look to him for his help. And David knew no matter how down he got, he could always, uh, he could always turn to God. He could always hope thou in God and praise him for the help that God gives. In Psalm 103, David wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And David knew that uh, God was, was a healer, and God was one who came with benefits. How many would agree that God comes with benefits? Psalm 73, but as for me, my feet were almost gone, and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And you might be at your job and say, oh, you know, the unbeliever gets the raise, and the unbeliever gets the new position, or uh, other students in the class, they cheated, and, and, and they might get the scholarship, or whatever else. And David said, when I look at that, and I have the despair that I have about life, somebody say amen this morning. Because when you look around and you see, it's almost like the walls are falling in and there's no hope left in our society. Sometimes you feel like, well, you know, you can even feel distant from God. And you can feel like God doesn't answer prayer. And you can feel like, uh, you know, he doesn't hear me. And the Bible doesn't work. And the message doesn't ring true for me or whatever else. And we can get into those places where we begin to feel that way. And David got there and he said in Psalm 73, But as for me, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the foolish. But he said, who have I in heaven but thee? When times get like that, David said, but really, he said, the only eternal thing there is is God. And he said, I have thee in heaven. And I know that I can cast all of my cares upon you because I can trust in you. This is not just Old Testament, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, and I would advise you to do exactly the same thing. In Second Peter chapter 1, it says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us on the glory and virtue. Say it with me. All things. All things. God's given you all things that pertain unto this life. And so when David encouraged himself and you find yourself in a spot where you don't know where to turn, let me tell you, some way or another, God has given you all things you need in order to overcome the situation that you're in. And you need to dig down deep and find and utilize and put in practice the things that God has given you that pertain to this life. All things. Say it with me. All things. Now, say it with enthusiasm. All things. God's given you all things that are necessary for this life. All things that are necessary for you to overcome. And all things for you to come. All things for you to come to a point of victory over the enemy. That's exactly what God's given you. A lot of times, you know, we, we kind of sit back and think, well, you know, that's for pastors or that's for prophets or uh, somebody else. And a lot of times we're just afraid to use what God's promised us. 
It's time, I said, it's time for us to take that word and apply it and claim that which is ours. We're just taking back the thing that Satan has stolen. Satan will try to steal anything you've got, but it's our, I believe it's our time for us to steal, uh, to take back and reclaim those things that are actually ours. Now watch the second thing that David did. So he sat there uh, among a group of people that were ready to stone him. He probably uh, went off to the side a little bit and just began to meditate on the, on the promises that were found in Scripture. But then in verse 7, it gives us another clue. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. The ephod is a garment that the high priest wore when he went into the presence of God. But if you know your Bible, uh, an ephod is not something that is only for the high priest. It is something that other people wore at different times. So Saul, for instance, called for the ephod and put it on. And it was that, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it wasn't the breastplate, but it was another garment that they put on. And it was cinched at the shoulders. And it was something that uh, the stones were sewn into so that when the high priest went in, there was representation in the presence of God uh, by that high priest. All right? So this ephod was a garment that people could wear. And David says to the high priest, he says, he says, come here, and when you come, bring the ephod. He said, because I want to inquire of the Lord. So the ephod is not something exclusively for uh, the priest. It was not just for him, but it was for everybody. Okay, and David says, I need to inquire of the Lord. Now, let me say this uh, again to you, and I want to say this very clearly, that uh, David did not say to the high priest, go and inquire of the Lord for me. But David came to the place where he had suffered the loss personally of his own wife and children. And he said, bring me the ephod because I want to inquire of the Lord. I want to know what God wants me to do. I need to have an answer here. And there are certain things that I can tell you, and there are certain things you'll hear in sermons that will be a help to you. But you know there are times in your life when you're going to come to the spot where you just need to hear from God because you need to have that personal direction and that assurance that this is actually coming from the throne itself. And this is not just Brother Barry's idea or Brother Branham's comment, but I need to hear directly from God myself. How many would agree? And I will tell you this, I want to, I want to this morning, I want to hand you an ephod and say, there's nothing that's preventing you from putting on that ephod or entering into the presence of God and seeking the mind of God yourself so that you can know exactly what God would have you to do. There's nothing in the world that prevents us from doing that. And David said, bring that, uh, bring that ephod. And he says, I'll, uh, I'll ask God. Now, and remember now, David is anointed by a prophet to be the next king. He is anointed, but he's not appointed. He's got an anointing, but he doesn't have the appointing yet. And, and I want you to know this, that, you know, some of you that have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's wonderful and you've given your heart to God. Just because you make a step towards God doesn't mean Satan's not going to rob you of stuff. He's going to try to jump on your shoulder and make you feel bad and try to uh, discourage you and say, well, you know, you're just the same guy and nothing's really changed and so on. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean that Satan's going to back off. He doesn't say, whoa, whoa, Nathan got in the water, whoa. Satan doesn't care if you get in the water. He doesn't care a lick if you get in the water. And he'll come right aboard you and find avenues to uh, discourage you in new and creative ways. Isn't that right? And sometimes you just got to reach out and get the ephod and say, but Lord, you said that if I was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would give me the gift of the Holy Ghost. And now it's not just me against Satan, but it's now me and you against Satan here. And I believe that's a winning combination. And so sometimes you just need to call for the ephod 
and you need to just uh, put your put your best before God. Brother Manum said it like this. He said, don't you think the devil ain't here to put the heat on you because you claim your healing or your salvation or the baptism of the Holy Ghost? He'll said, he said, he'll throw the heat to you. All right. Now, let me explain it this way. All right. Let me let me break it down a little bit this way. In the Bible, uh, we refer to the scripture itself, the book, the literal written word is a graphe. That's the, that's the Greek word. It's the graphe. And uh, if you're writing down scriptures in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus talked to the uh, disciples, he, sa- he said, the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, in other words, you know, you have the writing of the Bible, and that's the graphe, G-R-A-P-A-G. That's the graphe that you have, and, and it's just the Bible. You know, and Jesus said, search the scriptures, that search the graphe, take the Bible and read it and, and see what it says. All of us have that. The second thing that we also have is the Logos. And the Logos is the actual mind and expression of God uh, in a form that only God can give. Like in the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's the Logos, right? Everybody agree. But I want to introduce another uh, word here that Brother Branham refers to and it's called the Rima. And in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, now listen to what the Rima is because that's important. The Rima means that the Holy Spirit has taken this word just from a thought or a statement or on paper and is actually making it live in your life. You can have the graphe. Everybody got a graphe, say amen. Everybody got a Bible, say amen. You got the graphe. And everybody got the Logos. Yeah, we all got the Logos because God's declared himself very clearly in our generation. But you know what you need sometimes is a dose of the raphe. And the raphe is when the Holy Spirit will take that word and apply it to you directly in your life on this day for the need that you have. Every one of us need the raphe. The Bible says... Over in Acts 10.44, that while Peter yet spake these words in the house of Cornelius, listen to me now, when Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. You understand, this is not just a promise now to the Gentiles. This is Peter witnessing this is actually happening. This is actually something is taking this word from the print to the heart. Something is taking this word from a thought to a reality. Something is actually quickening this word to make it live in the hearts of all of these Gentiles who were here in the house of Cornelius. Are you following me? You got the graphe, you got the logos, and you got the raphe. And the raphe is what every one of us need from time to time because it is the thing that makes it real to us. Can I break that down a little bit further? I know you're hungry. We have a fix for that too. Every team in the NFL has a rule book. The rule book is 32, it's around 32 pages long. Every team has a rule book, and they all have to follow the rules. It's identical. Every team has the same book of rules, and it outlines what they can and they cannot do in the run of a game. Every team also in the NFL has what's called a playbook. And a playbook is an individually written book per team that allows them to understand what all their different plays are the halfback quarterback or the Hail Mary or the other uh, irreligious, sacrilegious names that they have in football and, and all these other uh, plays that they have. All right, we're going to run a 14C. A 14C is in the playbook. 
It's not in the rule book, but it's in the playbook because it's an application of how we're going to defeat the enemy over on the other side of the line. Isn't that right? Let me tell you, every believer anywhere in the world has a rule book. This is the outline of what's in the mind of God, what God requires of us. But how God will actually live out the word in our day comes from him giving you a playbook that tells you how to apply the word today. Because in no other age, in no other age did they have the internet to deal with like we do. And so you've got to have a book of plays. You've got to have, uh, you've got to have some strategies that you're going to use in our time that are not the same in other times, right? What other generation had cell phones? What other generation had to deal with certain issues and problems like, uh, you know, globalism or nationalism uh, that we have in our time, tolerance or uh, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, repeated again in the Gentile world and all the other nations breaking and all the unique things about the end time. And now there is a, a, a rule book. Every one of us have got it. Hasn't changed at all. I am the Lord and I change not. How many would agree? But God's got a playbook for this last day. Now, I'll tell you this, that uh, even though the quarterback has a playbook, for the for his team, uh, when the teams line up on the line of scrimmage, sometimes that quarterback will change the play, right? And he'll say, uh, instead of a 14C, that's what they agreed in the huddle. Uh, then he might say, "All right, boys, 14D," and he just get down there, hike, and all of a sudden the the play has changed. You know what? You got to be in tune with the quarterback in order to hear what's going on there. You've got to be close to the quarterback because if you're not listening to the quarterback, you know what? You might have the rule book and you might have the playbook, but you miss the call that they're going to now perform in order to defeat the enemy because we feel like this is the best play and that was just a smokescreen. So now it's 14D and 14Z. And if you're over here Googling and waving at your girlfriend in the, in the stands over there, you're going to miss out what the quarterback has just changed things to. And I say this, that every one of us need to have the, the Rafa, every one of us need to have the Rima, every one of us need to have the application of the word right today because most of you have prayer requests today that you'd like God to deal with. Isn't that right? And so, Lord, I know what the rule book says, but you've handed us a playbook in this day. Now, Lord, if you want me to do something, Lord, just speak to my heart. I'm I'm on the scrimmage line. I'm ready to go. I'm just anxious, Lord, to hear what you have for me, and I want to do exactly what you want me to do. Or let's say it like this. How many of you have a cordless phone in your house? How many of you have a cordless phone in your house? If you're over 50, most people are acknowledging that they have one. But I will tell you this, that if you have a cordless phone, there comes a point where when that thing is charged, you can walk anywhere just about around your house and you can use the phone, and it's a really neat thing. But after you run out of juice, after you run out of power, what happens? You can have the best reception. You can be standing right next to the base. You can be standing within a couple of feet of the base. But if you don't have any power in that phone, you're not, getting across, you're not getting in touch with anybody. You're not hearing anything, right? There are times when you've got to go back to the base and put it on there and recharge in order for you to connect because you might have good Wi-Fi, you might have a good uh, connection in your area or whatever else, but if you don't have power in that phone, and you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get any calls. You're not going to be able to communicate with anybody. And I say this, that sometimes you may feel like you're tossed and turning out there and you may floundering out there. You, sometimes you just need to go back to the base and say, Lord, just charge my battery again. And Lord, just help me because I can have all the reception. I can have a really expensive phone. But if I don't have power in that thing, let me tell you, I'm going nowhere. How many of you understand what I'm saying? 
that there are times, I was listening to a sermon the other day coming down in my truck, and I was listening to it, and brother, it's called The Way Back. And Brother Bram's talking about how we can get into all kinds of situations and all kinds of temptations, and we feel bad about all the temptations we have, and we lost our temper, and you know, this didn't work out right, and that didn't work out right. And Brother Bram said, there is a way back, and here's the way back. Sometimes you got to go back to the charging unit and just park that phone on that thing and just wait until the battery's replenished again. And everybody over 50 said, because we know what a cordless phone is all about. I want, I want to just say this to you, that God knows where your stuff is. God knew where David's stuff was. Do you believe that? So David now, he asks something very specific to God with the ephod on him. He goes to God and he says, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And when you have the ephod on, listen to me, I'm only going to be a few minutes here. Listen to what I'm telling you. If you have the ephod on and you've got a problem, be specific and go to God and ask him directly and say, Lord, should I take this job or should I not? Whatever it is that you have in particular, should I marry this boy or should I not? Should I go to college or should I not? You should be as specific as you possibly can. And don't think you're going to intimidate God if you ask something big. Because a prophet taught us to ask big and see what God will do. Don't you be afraid of that. But when you have the ephod on, David said, should I go and should I pursue and will I overtake him? The answer comes back and God simply says in one sentence, he says, he says, go and pursue. And he says, surely you will recover all. That's what he says. You'll get it all back. That's good enough for David. You know what David didn't do? He didn't continue to pray. David packed his bags, told everybody, sharpen your swords, let's go. Let's get everybody packed up. Let's go. Let's go. And they begin to march out of the camp. I'll tell you what. Sometimes when you, when you come to that place, there's a lot of people that, uh, or let me say this. I'm trying to say this graciously as I can. Let me say this graciously as I can. And it is this. There are times when God is waiting for you to act on what he's already told you. Instead of you sitting there and still praying for something that God's already answered. And God wants you to get up and go after the Philistines and go after your wife and go after your son or daughter. God wanted, God wanted David to do that. He said, pursue. And he said, God will give it all to you back. David says, hey, let's go. That's good enough for me. It's all I need to know. So they're going down through the woods there and uh, they're, they're in pursuit. of the, They don't know where they're going. God didn't say go uh, 20 miles this way, hang a right. He didn't do that. He just said go. He said, we'll, we'll get there and you'll get everything back. So David says, here we go. And he goes down the road like this. And 200 of his men, of 600, are so exhausted they can't go any further. So they're discouraged. They're, I mean, David's got everybody. I mean, he must have been looking behind him when he was leading the pack and wondering, did anybody just reach down and pick up a stone? Because nobody's got their wife back yet, right? Nobody's got their, their cell phone back. Right, all their stuff was taken. That's the first thing you'd steal. Wouldn't it be the cell phones? Right? And so uh, David's looking behind him and wondered, has anybody picked up a stone? Is it going to stone me now because I'm leading the pack here? And we don't know where we're going, but we're going. And David's singing, one of them, one of them. Nobody else is singing, but one of them, one of them. And, and he's wondering about, you know, where all this is going. And 200 of men said, hey, we just can't go any further. We don't have any food. We, don't, we ran out of vitamins. And we don't even have essential oil. And so, you know what, we're just going to stay here. And uh, we're just, we'll stop here. You, when you come back, just, just come on by here. and we'll. All right, so David says, lighten the load, boys, and take off your knapsacks. We're going to go fast. We're going to go on a fleet of foot. And so they take off down through the, the, the woods there. And then when they come across a field, guess what they find? An Egyptian. 
an Egyptian who is just about nigh unto death. He's a scrawny Egyptian because he hadn't eaten or drank any water in three days. And so uh, David looks at this guy and he says, hey, feed him. So they feed him and they give him figs and they give him uh, nourishment. And this guy kind of revives. And David says, now David doesn't look at this as an answer of prayer yet. I mean, he's just a scrawny Egyptian that he's found in the field, right? And what's an Egyptian got to do with this whole problem that we're praying to God about? And he says, hey, buddy, who are you? And he says, well, my name is Igor, you know, from Egypt, and uh, my boss is, is this guy, and he lives over here, and he's with the Amalekites, and we were just going through on a campaign, and, you know, we raided this town, we pillaged this town, and we burned Ziklag, and, and uh, hello, you did what? Oh, we, we went through this town. No, 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 about Ziklag. What'd you, well, we came through Ziklag, and we took everybody and took a whole bunch of stuff, cell phones and things like that, and essential oil, and, and we, uh, we burned it with fire, and we left on it. David says... In other words, you don't, sometimes you don't think how God's going to answer a prayer, but God does. I mean, you, we think it's got to be this way. God's got to say it this way. And sometimes God will just out of the left field, pardon the pun, here's an Egyptian that's laying there, and he's got the answer for the prayer that David's prayed. And he's an Egyptian, and he has nothing to do with the Amalekites or anything else, but he's a servant that uh, the, the king of Amalek had taken, and uh, he was just in bondage to him. And he says, David says, hey, buddy. How about if we doubled your rations and you took us to where that camp is? And he says, hey, hold on now. He says, if I go back to the camp, they're going to kill me. Promise you won't kill me, and I'll take you to where you need to go. And I'll take the double rations. And so the guys, I'm just paraphrasing the scriptures, what the Bible says. And so uh, David feeds him, you know, fills his pockets with candies, goes in the pastor's office and gives him a whole pocket full of candies. And he's got it. And he says, he says to him, hey, lead me on. And so they go down, they go down to the camp, and they sneak up to where the Amalekites are. Now, God doesn't go ahead and stone all the people because this is true. Sometimes God warns you about things that are coming and he prevents the battle in the first place. Sometimes there are, there are battles that God warns us about, but he gets impatient and he goes ahead and kills everybody before you get there. And then there are times when God prepares you for the battle and informs you, but he does want you to lift your own sword and get in there and fight. Right? Isn't that true? And so they come down, they sneak up on the camp, and they come in and they look at all the Amalekites there. And lo and behold, the Amalekites are parting with David's stuff. You read it in the Bible. It says that they've got all the goods that they robbed from Ziklag, and they're having a party. They're just, you know, one of them. They're, they're just, you know, they're just thinking, wow, this is great. We've got all these cell phones, and uh, we've got all this good food, and we've got all this essential oil that came from Israel, and all these other great things that we got. And, and they're having a party with your stuff. They're having a great time with your stuff. And David and the men look over the top of the hill like this and there. They're looking over there and they said, hey, 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 pull out the sword slowly like this. On the count of three boys and they go down. It says that they slew everybody in the camp. Everybody in the camp except for 400 men that jumped on camels and took off. Camels are hard to catch in the desert. And off they went. And here's David now with the spoils of not a... I, I mean, he's good. He go, runs down through the camp and he looks in one tent, another tent, another tent. Honey! And he looks in another tent and says, Honey! Because he's got two wives. <laughs> and, and he embraces the two of them and all the men are happy. Oh, wow. Glad day when I was born again. It was a glad day when I was born again. Wrong key. And so... 
David and the men are happy. They're excited. Man, they're, they're, just, they're just exuberant because now they have all of their stuff back and their families, everything is restored. And David says, hey, boys, take it all. And they took so much stuff from the camp that all of those raiders had taken, all those terrorists had taken. And it was all piled up there. And they had taken so much that if you read the end of chapter 30 there in 1 Samuel, it says that David took goods and he gave it to this county and he gave it to people in that county and he gave it to this tribe over here and he gave it to that tribe. Everyone in Israel was blessed because of the goods that David had taken. Everybody got something. Everybody was, was uh, blessed with some of the spoil that David had. And, and you know what he did? I, I just want to summarize this and say, uh, you know what David did? Number one, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't let the circumstances drown out his awareness of the promises and the power of God. He reminded himself of that. And there are times when there's nobody else you can turn to. There's times when nobody else you can ask. There's times when nobody else wants to do anything but throw a rock at your head. And David... He just begins to ponder on the goodness of God. I remember when God healed me. And I remember when God helped me save the bear, or kill the bear. And I remember when God helped me kill a lion. And I remember when God helped me to kill Goliath. And all the other things he said, that was not my strength. That was God's strength. And he, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He wasn't there to strengthen anybody else at that time. He was strengthening himself in the Lord because he needed it at that time. And sometimes that's the only thing that you can do is strengthen yourself in the Lord. And don't listen to anybody else's complaining. And don't listen to anybody else's whining. And don't listen to the devil's lies. You just need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And then the second thing that he did was he asked for the ephod. And he went to God and specifically asked the question, should I pursue? And God says like this, the biblical thumbs up. He says, go for it. That's all that God said to David. That's all the words that he ever pronounced to David in that whole chapter. And David sets off, not knowing where he's going. But if God said thumbs up, you know what? The battle is already ours. And so he goes, he follows and pursues, finds the dead Egyptian. And you know the rest of the story. So this entire thing is based on the fact that when David's got it all stacked against him, he's got somebody greater in him than he that's in the world. He's got a promise that's greater than anything that's against him in that particular hour. And I'm saying this, when the enemy is coming in and stolen from you, your joy, your peace, your happiness, your purity, your prayer life, your confidence, your, your, your prosperity, or your health, or whatever thing that God has stolen from you, you ought to say, hey, I've got a right to go after the things that are mine, that God's given me, and nobody else has a right to them because God bestowed them to me, and you need to go after them. And if you need to encourage yourself in the Lord, I'd encourage you to do that and if you need to get an ephod i say this just take the word of god put it on your shoulders like an ephod and just say lord i'm coming with something specific i need to know and i'm looking for an answer to this question right here and i need help in this department right here or i need a job and lord which way should i go and you watch god on the basis of that you watch what god does because our god is the same yesterday today and forever and the way that uh, he responded to david i believe is the way that god can respond today the same way because he's the same god do you believe that today He's not a different God. He doesn't have a set of rules that are different. He handed a playbook out when he wrote it through all those prophets and gave it to us. The playbook might be different for our age, but the rule book is the same for everybody. Holiness was in, in fashion, pardon the pun, in Brother Branham's day. It's still in fashion today because the rule book doesn't change. The playbook now, the playbook is, is different now than 
what it was back in that day or back in Paul's day or whatever else and all the other uh, cultural things. And people say, well, the Bible's obsolete. No, no, no. The, the, the rule book's still the same. That hasn't changed at all. But how you live the Christian life today is, is different than in other days because, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we, we, for instance, we don't walk to the temple once a year. Uh, we, we're all well able to, all you guys that are guests and visitors here, you come from somewhere. You didn't walk. What town do you live in? What town do you live in? Where? Georgia. How'd you get here? You didn't walk here? No, he's got transportation. So we're going we're gonna to do things differently than how we did it in another day. But you know what? He's got a, he's got a King James Bible just like you got a King James Bible because that's the rule book. The playbook, is, is, it, it varies generation to generation. In other words, how the Holy Spirit applies the word in your life. But every one of us need to have the rima that makes that word come off the page and live in my heart and give me an application of this word. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop right there. If the enemy has stolen your stuff, I say today we should pray that God would give us strength to be able to go after that enemy and realize that God, God is, is well able to help you to capture that back. He's well able to help you put your hand on that and claim that because that's rightfully yours. Do you believe that? And that's what I believe that's exactly what he wants us to do. And, and there are, there are uh, lots of enemies. There's no shortage of enemies. There's no shortages of ways uh, that God will try to steal your joy and try to steal your uh, happiness and try to steal your family, try to steal your children, try to steal all kinds of things there. Uh, he's not, he, doesn't matter whether you're anointed. doesn't matter whether you're appointed. It doesn't matter what, uh, what position you hold in the church. Satan will try to get in every home, every family, every corner possible. You need to recognize him for what he is. He's just a thief and he's a liar. And you need, you need to put your foot down and say, you know what? I don't need to wait for God to come and tell me that's mine. I know that's mine because the Bible tells me so already. Don't ask God to tell you things the Bible already tells you because he's already told you in the Bible, right? You need to go after the things that are yours because it's yours. It's yours. And the reason many times we lack things and we lack joy and we lack victories is because we don't go after the things that are ours. And we kind of, we hold back and say, Lord, do this, do this, do this. And he told David, he said, go pursue. David took off and pursued. Sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. You need to just pursue and go after the things that are yours. Hallelujah. Do you believe what I just told you? I would like I would like to sing and I'd like to pray with you that God will give you the insight and the courage to strengthen yourself in the Lord and take your ephod and to go after the things that are yours. And I think with all my heart I think that God has got an answer for you. And God's got a way for you to claim those things back. And you will not be ashamed and you will not be defeated because they're yours already. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Let's sing that little chorus. Order my steps in the word, dear Lord, order my steps. Let's just sing a little bit and worship now. And I want you to just, hey, we'll eat dinner in a minute. We'll go in a second here. But I just want you to just block out, block out things here just for a moment. Just give God, give God that. Uh, place, a little spot that he can just drop something in your heart, okay? Give him that little place here this morning. Order my steps in your word, dear.
Sing it again now. Oh, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me and guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Let's sing that little little chorus um, in in the same key. Are you you're in the same key key of C, right? So let's let's sing this little chorus. Do you wanna know?
heartache it brings. Comfort in knowing I'll soon be gone. I'm gonna run this race face to face. Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in me, it'll quicken your mortal body. Let's sing that this morning. I want to sing this and and, uh, then we're going to have a word of prayer. Let's sing it together. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, well in you if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you dwell in you oh it will quicken your mortal body if that spirit dwell in you it will quicken your mortal body Spirit dwelling you. Oh, if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling you, dwelling you. If that same Spirit raised me from the dead dwelling you, dwelling you. Sister Grace sang that special this morning, and one of the lines in that song was so nice. It just said, my brokenness brought me to you. And there are times in our lives, and I think we'd all agree that maybe it's not something you've done on purpose, but you come to the place where you really do realize, I have no strength left. I have no, nothing to go forward with. I just am so dependent on him. And a real Christian, at the end of the day, when all the resources are gone, they're going to turn to one and one only, and that's Christ. And that's what we should do. That's what it's, that's what it's teaching you to do. The trouble you face is not, not there to destroy you. It is to turn you, to turn you to Christ. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Let's bow our heads together, everybody now with their eyes closed. And just I want you to think of maybe there's one thing in your life that you want to claim back, that you want to go after. 
And, and if there is, put your hand up and just say, Lord, anoint me to do that, Lord. And I, I'll, I'll just be courageous. Give me the courage, Lord. Give me the willingness to go after those things. It might be a person. It might be a thing. It might be something that Satan's stolen from you. Lord Jesus, as we bow in your presence today, hearts are stirred, Lord, and we realize that Satan, if anything else, he would put us into a place of complacency where, where we think that we have, we have no right or we have no strength or we have uh, no weapons, Lord, that are formed against him, that somehow or another we just got to wait until God moves and does something. But Lord, when David found himself in this position here, he, he, he didn't just wait for something to happen out of the blue, but he encouraged himself and he sought the ephod and he prayed and specifically got an answer. And Lord, then he acted on that answer. And Lord, there are crises that come, but sometimes there's the slow erosion that the enemy brings in our life. And either way, Lord, we want to say today, we're going after the things that are ours. We're not just going to wait here in a camp, a burned out shell of a camp. But Lord, we're going to go after the things that are ours. And Lord, we're not after the large spoil. That was just a blessing you bestowed upon David. But Lord, we don't want to see our loved ones suffer. We don't want to see our lives just mired in temptation. We don't want to see our joy gone. But Lord, we want to serve you with a happy heart and with the strength that you have promised. And I pray that you give back to your people now the things that they are seeking. And I, Lord, to see every hand that's raised and mine as well. And God, I just pray that you would just deal with every heart according to your will. And Lord Jesus, we, we want to thank you, Lord, for the promises that are contained in your word. And Lord, how you dealt with David, I believe you can deal with us the same way today. And Lord, may we all put on our ephod and may we all realize, Lord, that we have representation in the presence of God. Give us courage, give us strength, I pray, and we'll commit the rest of the day now into your hands. Lord, all these graduates, we pray your blessing upon each one of them. And Lord, may your holy presence be with them, I pray. In Jesus' lovely name, amen. And amen. And all God's people said, J-O-Y, joy, joy in the Holy Ghost. J-O-Y, joy, joy in the Lord. Oh, don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't let the devil steal your joy. Joy in the Lord. J-O-Y, joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. J-O-Y, joy. Joy in the Lord. No, don't let nobody steal. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Joy in the Lord. One more time as you go. God bless you. Right over to the fellowship hall. Everybody, God bless you as you go. Oh, why joy? Joy in the Lord. Oh, don't let nobody steal your joy. No, don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Joy in the Lord. Sing it as you go. J-O-Y, joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. J-O-Y, joy. Joy in the Lord. So don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy.